Pastor Herring, if you would come. All right. I am glad, 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 glad making sure. All right, yeah, glad to be here. Amen. Amen. What a great, it's been great, man. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for all the sitting around and chatting with me and telling me your story and letting me uh, learn a little more about you. I'm grateful for that and thankful for God giving us the opportunity to hang out in the desert together. Amen. Amen. What a place. Man, I love this place. I mean, Ironwood is it's iconic now to me. I mean, it's just iconic in my mind. Uh, this is not a sissy camp. Amen. I like this, man. I like the rugged stuff and trees are for sissies. And uh, uh, I like it, man. I like this. I like the rocks out there. And that's, that's all. You know what? I've got 21 grandkids. If I could get the boys out here, it would be heaven. You know why? They like to throw rocks. Can you imagine? I, I would just put them out there and say, go at it, guys. Just throw as many as you want to throw. We had a little landscape, a little uh, pondscape in our backyard we built so that, you know, being a Savannah boy, I could hear the water rippling down. And we had, you know, the tiers built and spent a lot of money, uh, my effort, but buying the rocks and getting it all ready and and uh, we had to cover it in because the idiots kept throwing, you know, they'd pick up my big stones and dump them in it, you know, threaten them, threaten what you were going to do to them. But it, it, you, you, they just can't help it. You know, they got a, if it's a rock and there's water, they're throwing the rock. Amen. And I guess that was better. Now that we've covered it up, they're throwing it at their sisters. And so, you know, it gets, uh, it gets a little worse, but it's been a great, great, I don't know. You may have come with a burden. You know, you may have had something that's just plaguing your mind. I, I was thinking as we were singing the songs there, that typical scene on that Easter morning, resurrection morning, we call it. The women were, they were walking toward the tomb. And you know what their entire conversation consisted of? Who's going to roll this stone away? Isn't that funny? I mean, isn't that... I mean, that's us. That's our, that's our spear. That's where we, that's our realm. That's where we live. We worry about stones. We worry about who's going to move the obstacle. We're, we're fretting and worrying as we go through life about who's going to get this out of my way when God has resurrection power. Can I tell you this? If the Lord has the power to empty the tomb, the stone you're worried about is no problem to him whatsoever. No struggle whatsoever. So I don't, know what, I don't know what's in your way. I don't know what you're facing when you go back home. I don't know what kind of situation is there and what challenges are there and things that you came, burdens that you have. But can I tell you that we serve a God that can empty the tomb? Amen. And so the, the, the things that plague you and the things, maybe the burdens you came, I, I pray that God will make them a little bit lighter. Not that the burden, not that the obstacle uh, is, is um, necessarily not going to be there, but it's going to be rolled away. God has the power to do that, and I hope, I hope we'll focus on that. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. Now here again... Remember, this is that Bible truth I taught you a couple of days ago, always after 1 Kings, okay? So I know probably that's, that may be the main thing that, that you've picked up from this week, and uh, it's going to help you in your Bible study, and 
And I'm grateful for that. I give tidbits. That's why people come to South Valley. They get things like that. And uh, they sit with jaw dropped, stunned at the wisdom that flows from the pulpit of that church. We, we have a lot of fun. Even when I was live streaming, I would live stream. We got people listening from here. So I know there are people listening like, what is he talking about? Somebody that just bumped into our... But I, I'd be live streaming and say, uh, Beverly, would you have Mark set up? It's an embarrassment. And good night, you know. Uh, wear some pajamas at least, you know. And my people are sitting all over the community laughing their head off. And there's some guy in England that, that started watching. And he's thinking, what? Of course, they don't even have good humor over there anyhow. It's pathetic. Huh? Oh, yeah, yes. I mean, really. I mean, I watch their comedy shows, and they're breaking out laughing over things. And I'm like, what? What was that? I love it. I went over there. We spent a couple of weeks uh, from time to time and absolutely fell in love with, uh, I fell in love with London and just just loved the place and and loved the difference. And you know what I found out? They're great people all around the world, aren't they? We're all created in the image of God, and uh, it's, a, it's a blessing to, to know the Lord. Well, let's look with me, if you will, in 2 Kings chapter number 13. Now, Elisha was falling, fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Let's read it again. Now, Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died, and Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, and thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then thou hadst smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Let's pray. Father, would you please today in this final service give us what we have need of today. I'm grateful, Lord, for this amazing time that you've given us here together. Thank you for the way my life, my heart has been blessed just to be here, just the fellowship, just the the place that you've carved out in this desert. God, for your glory, it has blessed my soul, and I, I thank you for that. And now we turn our eyes to you, and we ask that you would do something again, afresh and anew in our hearts, and we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise for all of it, for it's in Jesus' name. I pray these things. What we have recorded here is, is the last event in the life of the great prophet Elisha. And in fact, in the very next verse after we dropped off, it simply says, and Elisha died. And so this is the last recorded event of his life. By this time, 
Elisha has become an icon uh, in the nation of Israel. And word has circulated that he doesn't have much time to live. And so the king of Israel rushes down to where the iconic prophet lies sick upon his deathbed. This is interesting because he leaps, he weeps over the prophet. The Bible said he wept over his face. And so as Elisha is laid upon his deathbed, the, 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 the king leans over the aged man of God and he cries, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. If you remember, that's the scene in which Elisha's predecessor was taken to heaven and, and, and gone. And so what he's basically saying, almost in familiar code to Elisha, is you're, you're leaving us. Your time to go is now. Elisha, listen, Elisha, the, 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 the chariot, the horseman, remember the scene. You're leaving just like, just like Elijah left. You're going to die. And so he's giving him maybe perhaps the news that he's not sure even Elijah may be aware of. Maybe he feels the doctors haven't been up front. I don't know, but he, he's just simply telling him that he does not have much time to live. Now, I don't know what it was. Joash wasn't really a upper echelon spiritual guy. I mean, he was really, he was really very carnal. But something moved. Maybe it was the king's tears Maybe it was his weeping. Maybe, maybe he felt somewhat alone now that the man of God was leaving. Whatever it was, it, it stirred the man of God. And so he, he takes a bow and an arrow and he gathers the king and they open the window to the east and with his hands upon the king's hands. So get the picture. There's a he says, get the bow, get the arrow. He does. He opens the window to the east, points the arrow towards Syria, and with his hands on the king's hands, they pull back the bow and release it, and the arrow launches to the east. He then says to the king, after that, he, he tells him uh, to shoot the arrows out of the window into the ground. And so now... Now his hands, the king's hands, are now in control. The first time it was God's man who helped him control. Now, so to speak, the king is upon his own. And so he reaches for one arrow and he pulls it and releases it. He grabs another arrow, points it into the ground and releases it. And then the third arrow he pulls and releases it. And then the Bible says he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was angry. And the question that he said to him, why, why, why did you stop? Why was three enough for you? Why is it that you could have launched, you could have launched twice as many? You could have had total victory over your enemy, but now all you have is partial victory. And the reality of the matter is here is that Joash stopped short. He stopped short of what he could have done, what he should have done. Three arrows in the ground. And he stops short. 
Guys, I've been preaching for 46, 7 years. I started preaching when I was 17 years old. Can I tell you that over the years of my ministry, I have seen so much wasted potential. I've seen so many guys that started out and they were pointed in the right direction and they had, uh, they, they had some, some, some uh, uh, desire in their heart. But somewhere down the line, something got them to the place to where they became satisfied with what they had done and they had three arrows in the ground, and then suddenly they stopped short. And I, I think that the danger that we have today, if we're not careful, is to focus on what already has been accomplished rather than can, uh, what can still be done. Uh, the, 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 idea, the idea of this story that God gives us here is, is not that we're, we're do-nothings. It's not that we're not sincere. It's not that you haven't made decisions. It's not that you didn't come here uh, to, with a desire to do something for God. The idea that is given us here, here in this, uh, this story that God gives us here is that we become enamored and satisfied with the arrows we've already launched and leave the arrows still in our quiver uh, where they lie. The, the potential. Uh, it reminds me of the, of the road to Emmaus as they walked with Jesus and, 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 you know, the, everything they said was past tense. We had hoped. We thought he was. We had hoped he had been. I mean, the reality, they were past tense Christianity. And, uh, and, and today, if we're not careful, that's where we're going to find ourselves. We're going to stop short of accomplishing what God would have us do. And, 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 and the church at Sardis had a name that they lived and yet were dead. They had a past reputation. We can be here satisfied with what we've done or even satisfied with the decisions that we've made. You know, the reality of the matter, and, and, and I mean this with all my heart, the, the, the reality of the matter is every single service, every service, I'm talking about Sunday morning, I'm talking about Sunday night, I'm talking about Wednesday night, you ought to be searching your heart for what decision God wants you to make then. Amen. You don't eat a meal and then just walk away. And say, well, I'm done. No, there's another meal. There's another time. There's another touch. There's more conviction. And, and our services are for God to speak to us. And I would hate to go sit in the room with Jesus and put my fingers in my ears and say, I heard you yesterday. I don't need to hear you today. No, I believe that every time I sat in the presence of Jesus, he would have something to say to me that would help my life and change my life. And so our life is always in a state of change, really. And he should be the changing one that brings about the process of change in us. I'm telling you, the church at Sardis had a, had a name that they were living. What does that mean? They were proud of the arrows they had already put in the ground, and they were totally unfocused on the ones still remaining in the quiver. They say that at night, and this is a beautiful place to do it, they say at night you can walk out and look up at the heavens and see the light of a solar star that burnt out 20 years ago. Because of the distance, we're still seeing the light. But what we don't realize is that star is no longer flaming. The fire in reality is gone. Thou hast the name that thou livest. And if we're not careful, we can develop a reputation in church that's a good man. 
You know, he's a faithful man. He's a loyal man. He's always there. Thank God for him. But the reality of the matter is that down deep in our hearts, somewhere back down the line, we stopped shooting arrows. Somewhere back down the line, we became content with what we have done, what we once were, and we satisfy ourselves and hit autopilot. I want you to notice a couple of things about King Joash. First of all, he lacked discernment. Joash lacked discernment. Now I want you to think about what he should have gotten. Okay, I mean it's not. It was. It, it, it was. It, it, it's really not. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. The, the 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 man of God opens the window, puts his hand, helps him steady the bow pull back the string, release the arrow, and as the arrow's launched eastward, he turns to him and says, now, here's, here's, a, here's a lesson for you. That arrow represent what God's going to do in your conflict with Syria, okay? So launching these arrows, that's what this, this, is, that's what this symbolizes. Now, you take the arrows, you take the bow, and you launch it. And he launches three. The reality of the matter was he, he lacked, he, he wasn't perceptive enough to make the connection. He could not grasp how greatly God could really use him. You know, I, I think of situations in the Bible. I, I, I think of the fact that, that, that Gideon saw himself simply as, as, a, as a farmer and yet God saw him leading an army. I think of, I think of the fact that, that uh, when, when Samuel was there to anoint the next king, that all of the, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about all of, the, all of the swagger guys were brought forth. And, and, and finally, the Lord said, not, no, not, not him, not him, not him, all the way down the line. And, and Samuel, think of this. Boy, what a great relationship with his dad. Samuel said to Jesse, do you have any more sons? Yeah, I got one. Well, why didn't you bring him? Well, he's watching sheep. He's, you know, he's, of all of my sons, he's the one that I least would suspect to be the king of Israel. But God saw something in David that even his own dad did not see. And I want to tell you what God does, and I love the song on mercy. God looks beyond all our blemishes and all our failures and all our flaws and, 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 and all of the things, even our own, even our own insecurities and our, uh, our, you know, our, our, our lack of confidence in ourselves. God, God sees us, and God is saying, I, I want to use you. I want to use you to do something for God, you know, and I, look, I, I'm being serious. I, I had a brother that died an alcoholic that was far more talented than I ever was. And, and the reality, you know, when, when, when God called me to preach, he called a kid that I, I despised giving reports in school. And the first message I ever preached in my life was to my youth department. And, you know, my youth pastor said, you're going to be preaching Sunday and you know, man, I about had heart failure. And so I remember, I remember getting on the pulpit and leaning over like this. Why? You're getting in the face of the people you're preaching to. No, I needed this to hold me up. It's petrified, petrified at what I was doing. I want to tell you, I remember going to India 
and 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 I stayed there for 17 days. And and, and I remember I remember preaching to people and then walking away with 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 a stadium filled with people and I remember walking away thinking to myself, "How in the, what am I doing here?" And, and and you know you know this God does different things in the lives of different... Can I tell you, you can't possibly imagine right now what God can do with you if you'll just, if you'll just yield yourself to Him. If you'll just say, here I am, and, and, and God, whatever, wherever, whenever, however, you want to use me, I want you to be, uh, I want to be uh, submitted, I, I want to be available for you to use. You have no idea the doors God will open and the things God will do for you. You'll be amazed at it. When I walk down an aisle... As a 17-year-old kid on the last night of a Carl Hatch revival at Bible Baptist Church on 4700 Skidaway Road when Carl Hatch gave his life story and I stood there gripping the pew and knew that God, I knew that God was going to use me. I, I, God, God wanted to use me. He's calling me to preach. I walked down the aisle and my youth director met me and he said, uh, Dean, why are you coming? And I said, God's called me to preach. We knelt at an altar. He took Joshua 1, uh, verse 8 and 9, and he read those to me, and he prayed with me, and they filled a card out and said, Dean Herring is, has surrendered his life to preach, and they handed it up to the pastor. And as the music still playing, the invitation is going on, he's looking through the cards, and he told my church later, he came to my card, and he read it, and he said to himself, he'll never make it. He will never make it. And I, I was right out of public school, you know. I started my career out in school very well by getting X's in behavior. That gave my, me and my dad a lot of real time together. Yes, time together. I remember one time in junior high school, I was, uh, I, I was borderline, I mean, X, X, X. Finally, I, I go to my teacher and I beg her, please don't give me an X in behavior. Because it's a little piano stool and a leather belt, my bottom and my dad and and the twain meet together. And so, you know, you know. And so she said, Dean, you're, you're you know you know you're borderline. You're always cracking jokes. You're always talking. And she said, This, you've got one week. If you will obey this week, I won't give you an excellent behavior. And I'm just like heaven came down and glory filled my soul. <laughs> So we're there, we're going through a geography, a, an oral geography test, and so we're, we're naming continents and naming places, and, and then she gets to the bodies of water and, and named the sea, so Aegean Sea, Adriatic Sea, you know, the Red Sea, and she's naming all this, and I don't know, it just came, you know, it came. So I raised my hand, and I remember the look on her face, and I remember the shock of my fellow students that Dean stood up. And she was so pleased, and she said, Dean, and I said, Tennessee. (laughs) Boom, the whole class fell out. She sent me to the office. I did get an action behavior. I did bend across the piano bench. My dad did take the leather belt, and in his famous words, I'm going to work on you, boy. And so I spent half my life thinking thinking, thinking I was broke. Man, when I walked that aisle, my pastor's looking at the card saying, he ain't, he's not going to make it. And he gets up and he says, well, folks, he's thinking he's not going to make it. Dean Herring is here. He's not going to make it. 
And he surrendered his life, he's not going to make it. To preach the gospel, he's not going to make it. And how many of you rejoice he's not going to make it? And in his decision tonight, he's not going to make it. And come around after church, would you, when we dismiss, and shake the hands of the guy that's not going to make it. You know, he's thinking this in his mind. Man, I shouldn't have made it. What a God. What a God that can open doors and, and take clay and mold it into something that somehow God can get glory from. Guys, I don't care what your hang-ups are, what your past is. Let me tell you something about God. He's not depressed by your past, and he's not impressed by your presence. It's not even about us. It's about him. It's about him and what he can do with us. And, 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 and Joash should have gotten it. Son, I want to use you. I want you to bring victory, not just to yourself, but to your entire nation. But Joash stopped short. Henry Ellsworth resigned from the United States Patent Office in 1844 Because, as he told the president in a letter, listen to this, everything that can be invented has been invented. 1844. (laughs) I I think maybe he stopped short. I mean, mean, think about wasn't around them. I mean, that was before the telegraph, the telephone, the light bulb, the automobile, the airplane. He stopped. He stopped short. He stopped short. I think of the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And he said to them, you know what? You stopped short. You should be teaching now, but you're still in kindergarten. You still have need of us to baby you and instruct you in, in the rudimentary things of the Christian faith. And rather than you taking your spot now and helping someone else along, we're still having to help you. And I understand that when we're baby Christians, we need that type of instruction. But the time comes in our life where we have to get to the place where we realize God, want, God wants to use us. We've got to have the discernment that, 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 that it's time for us to grow up and mature in our walk with the Lord. Where there is no vision, the people perish. They stop short. Not only the people that have no vision, but the people that we should have vision for. It cost us and it cost the generations to come. When I'm at teen camp, I, I, I do a message on building a godly lineage. It's like a chain. And somewhere along the ungodly chain of alcoholism and debauchery and filth that is passed down from grandfather to father to grandson and then all the way on down the line, somebody's got to rise up and say, I will not continue this. My, listen, my, my grandkids aren't going to be able to say, my dad's dad was an alcoholic or my dad's dad was a bum. Somebody's got to stand up and say, I'm breaking the chain and right here and right now in my life, I'm going to build a new generation. A godly generation. It can be done. It must be done. Or everybody that comes after you will have the same excuses that you could have. 
Mayor Leonard Kaiser of North Arlington, New Jersey, made a statement. Listen to this statement. We are living every day with the decisions of our forefathers. We're living every day with the decisions of our forefathers. You know what prompted that statement from a mayor? What prompted him was that two centuries earlier, the town of Arlington, New Jersey, had been built over 17 mine shafts. And when he made that statement, there were three city blocks that were literally disappearing into sinkholes into the earth. I want to tell you, that generation, as they built that city, had no discernment of what could come because of their, of their decision. I, I, um, I, I think about the generation that stood on the precipice, the front porch, I like to call it, of, of the Holy Land, Kadesh Barnea. You know, they say when the, when the pilgrims came across that before you could ever see land, you could smell the aroma of what they call the New World. Before they could ever see land, you could smell it. It was so rich and thick. And as they stood there at Kadesh Barnea, the very, the very front porch of the, of the Holy Land, the land of promise that God had given them, they were looking at the grapes of Eskel carried between the shoulders of two men, so rich and so ripe, it was so incredible. But, but because of the obstacles, they turned their back On the land of promise, they went back and wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. You know what happened? After the 40 years, their children had to come and fight the battles their parents should have already won. Instead of them having the guts and the gumption to face the enemy, win the battle, claim the land build the houses, build the cities. Instead of them doing that, now their children stand at the same place on the same soil that their parents once stood and did not do what they were supposed to do. And so now their children are faced with the same decisions they had to face. I'll tell you, the victories we win are not just for us, they're for generations to come. I want my grandkids to know that their papa was a man that stood and stood firm and served God all the days of his life. And I want them to be able to have the example and the footprints to follow. Second thing, not only only did he lack discernment, but he lacked determination. Now, we live in a casual world, okay? It's a very casual world. I'm not talking about dress. I'm not, I'm not talking about relaxing. I'm talking about our attitude toward God. Uh, it's sort of like I said the other night, you can take it or leave it. If that's the case, you will leave it. If we get to the place in our Christian walk and we can take it or leave it, we're going we're gonna to walk away from it. The, 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 the definition of casual means without plan or method. Someone who does something occasionally. And I think that sometimes that describes our Christianity and 
our, 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 our faithfulness to the house of God. And, and, and look, if we're not very careful, if we're not very careful, what will happen is the lockdown and the pandemic and the non-essential tags that was placed upon our churches will be a great excuse for people to sit at home uh, in their pajamas and watch. Now, and look, we've got live stream and we're going to keep live stream and live stream is a blessing and help. But I want to tell you something, there's nothing quite like assembling. It's, a, it's an assembly. I mean, if, if you've been watching in on this, think of what you would have missed. Or you, could, you could have seen the picture. You could have heard the messages. But think about the camaraderie. Think, think, about, think about the view. And I want to tell you, on Sunday morning, it's not just hearing the message. It's being in the message and being with your brothers and sisters in Christ. God created us. God created us for community. Now, now here's the deal. Listen to me. He, 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 he lacked, Joash lacked determination. First of all, first of all, it was the, 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 the prophet who had his hands upon the hands of the king, and, and he pointed the bow, and he pulled the string, and he released the arrow, and, and, then, and then he said, now you do it. And, and there's going to be a time when we're gone from here, you're going to have to make some decisions on your own. We won't be singing these songs that morning. We won't be having prayer time that morning. You've got to do that on your own. You, 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 you've, got to, you've got to make the decision, well, my pastor's not here. And I, the, the, the spirit and the atmosphere of this place that is contagious, it's not here now. And, 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 and there's a temptation available or there's somebody on the job in some way uh, trying to pull you in another direction. And, and, and the pastor's hands are no longer on yours. My pastor, our church was a great southern church back in those days. We'd have 3,000 on a big day. I was on staff. I developed a relationship with him where I was more of a son to him than 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 than, than a young pastor. He he, we loved each other. And sometimes he'd take me with him to meetings, and I remember sitting at a table with my pastor and Lee Robertson. We were just all at a table together. Bill Pennell, pastor Forest Hills Baptist Church, Curtis Hudson. And I'm sitting there just listening. I'm, just, I'm not saying a word. They're looking at me and asking me a question, and I'm not saying anything. They're just, I'm just listening. You know what I found out is I'd walk down the aisle, and I'd walk down the aisle at this meeting, and here's some guy over here, Jack Hudson. Cecil, how are you? You know? These, these iconic men now that have gone on to be with the Lord you know, John Rice. I've sat at a table in my pastor's home with Jack Van Epi as they ate together. And I'm just sitting there listening. But you know what I found out? I don't get to know God secondhand. Well, I know my pastor, and my pastor knows God. Well, I walk with my pastor, and my pastor walks with God. 
Well, I go to a meeting with my pastor because my pastor, he, he, he knows God. No, no, no. You know what I found out? I found out that I couldn't, I couldn't ride to, to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ just because my pastor was. Determination. A desire to do something and be something for God is so vital and so important for us. There's no determination. Here it is. Here's his determination. Okay, one. Okay, two. Okay, three. Oh, all right, I'm done. Uh, I, I'm done. I'm done. I've done. I've done enough. And the reality of the matter is, when when he let loose that third that third arrow, turned and set the bow against the wall, took the quiver off and stacked it beside it, which still had arrows in it. It made it made Elisha angry. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you if your pastor has more passion for you than you do? Can I ask you if there's somebody else that has a greater desire for you to accomplish things for God than you do yourself? That's a tragedy. The tragedy is, is when a pastor sees somebody and he sees potential and he sees what God can use them to do and, he, and, he, and he's, he's begging and he's pleading and yet they're stacking their arrows and folding up their bow, not ready, no determination, no de- preacher, I've done it, I, I did it. I, can't you see one, two, three? Elisha wasn't mad because of the arrows that were in the ground. Elisha was mad because of the arrows that were in the quiver. He's not saying you did nothing. He's saying you can do more. You ought to thank God for preachers that push you. That see more in you than you see in yourself. That have been given a vision by God to realize that God can do great things with you. Don't! Stop short. That's the message of this. Sidney Lanier, the great southern poet, lamented on his deathbed, I still have a thousand unwritten songs in my heart. Can you imagine? And I wonder, Brother Ferg, I wonder what were they? What were the lyrics? What was the melody? Did you know that, that, that not one of those thousand songs ever lifted a spirit? It never blessed a heart. It never, it never soothed someone by, by the, the beauty of, of what had been written. He died with those. And I, I, when I read that years ago as a young man, I said, Dear God, let me die with my songs on paper so that somebody can be blessed by them. I heard the story of paramedics with a very sick lady in the back. She was in deep trouble. They were driving her on the way to the, to the hospital. But one of the men made a comment and said, Look, I've got people coming over. I wasn't, we weren't expecting this call. It's a true story. I've got people coming over. I've got to light the grill. I've got to get it set up for company this afternoon. And so the paramedics who were his friends there with him, they took a 20-minute detour on the way to the hospital because it was Time for him to get off his shift and go home and cook. So they dropped him off. And before they could get to the hospital, the lady died. In the trial, when the evidence was brought out, at their turning around point, 
it was discovered that they were only four minutes from the hospital. But they lacked the dedication and determination to do their job. I want to tell you, sometimes, sometimes we're so oblivious, we're not even aware of how close we are to God doing great things, great things with us. We get so easily discouraged, guys. We get so easily discouraged. Things don't go our way. We quit. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you know what? When you go into a city, if they don't receive you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get together. I want you to huddle up. I want you to sit down. I want you to whine and cry. You know what Jesus said? No. He said, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next city. I think sometimes we need to start shaking some dust and just moving on for God's glory. Last of all, and I close this, he lacked not only, not only determination, but he lacked dedication. He lacked dedication. You know what the Bible says about Joash? If you read his story, this is what it says. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's, that, that's how his life is summed up. How do, you, how do you sum up this man's life who had the opportunity to deliver Israel from Syria? What do you say about him now who put three arrows in the ground? He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So no wonder he lacked discernment. No wonder he lacked determination. No wonder he lacked dedication. He wasn't right with God. And I want to just tell you this. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. If you're messing around in sin, if you're playing with sin, we talked about it last night, if you're dabbling in the shallows, if you've got secret things tucked away on the side, you're not going to have discernment. God will make it clear, clear as black ink on white paper. The pastor can preach with, with, with in vivid technicolor, and you're going to miss it all. The window's going to be open. The, the arrow's going to be notched. The arrow's going to be launched. And God's going to say, somehow, that's what I can do. And you're going to sit there like Joash and say, uh. You ever met somebody like that? That, that? that just, they didn't get the, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? How could you think that way? You can't just see what God says clearly, but they lack discernment. Joash wasn't committed for the long haul. He smoked thrice and stayed. He fizzled out in the end. He stopped short. Professor Charles Campbell, who was a, a noted scholar of yesteryear, a famous educator, taught a one-semester class, and on the first day he gave out a sheet of paper that had on it the titles of 150 books. It's one semester. Students are there. It was a freshman class, and they get their sheet of paper with requirements on it, and there's 150 books with their authors and their publishers listed. And the young girl in the back was just flabbergasted. She looked at that, and she raised her hand, and the, and the, the famous professor said, yes, ma'am young lady, and she said, Dr. Campbell, sir, I don't mean to speak out of place, but sir, you've given us a list here of 150 books. Sir, you do realize this is a one-semester class, and you do realize, sir, that, that, that we have other classes that we're taking? Sir, how in the world 
Can we read 150 books in one semester with all the other work we have to do? And his reply to her was this, young lady, read the instructions again. You have the rest of your life. You don't have to read the books in one semester. You have the rest of your life to read those books. I think that one of our problems is this. We have one semester Christianity. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. We have revivals. We have missions conferences. We have men's retreats. And that's where we measure our Christianity. I made decisions at a men's retreat, or I got right with God at a revival, or I did this. We have special meetings. Even even maybe bookend, we have a Sunday and then a Sunday and a Wednesday or Thursday in between, and, and, and here we are. Colossians chapter 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays or Thursdays or camp or conference or retreat, when Christ, who is our life, seven days every day living and serving for his glory. That's, that's what he's looking for from us. And when we get to the place to where we say, he's, he's my all in all, I'm going to live for him every day, that's when God does great things for us. I read the story of a group of missionaries years ago that were called one-way missionaries. They were called that because when they went to their field of calling, they bought a one-way ticket. They didn't carry luggage. They built a coffin. And in the coffin, they put all of their belongings. And their idea was simply this, I go because God has called and I will give my life. One of those was A.W. Milne. He was going to New Hebrides Islands. And up until that point, every Missionary that had been there at some point had been sacrificed by the cannibals. They had all been martyred. And so on the boat on the way, the captain of the boat said to Milne, he said, Sir, I hope you understand this. You're going to die. You're, you're going to die. Every, everyone that has been to these islands before you, they've all died. You will die. And A.W. Milne looked at him and said, Sir, I'm not afraid of that because I've already died. I've already died. For 35 years, he gave his life on the New Hebrides Islands. When he died, they buried him in the middle of the village square, one of the islands, and they inscribed this upon his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Gave his life. When Christ, who is our life, every 
waking moment. Live for Jesus. Don't. Guys, listen. Don't stop short. Don't stop short. We're going to give as much an account for what's still in the quiver as we are for what's in the ground. Let's bow our heads, could we?